I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. And we're all out of birth control. Thanks, Trump. This is read all over your handy Handmaid's Tale recap. Blessed be the fruit. Woohoo! All right. So here we are. Episode eight. Episode eight. We are eight tenths of wow. the way done. There's only ten. I don't know why I thought there was twelve. No, there's ten. Perfect. It's my preferred length for a prestige series, honestly. I think so. I honestly feel like the fewer episodes, the better. Like, I just finished Catastrophe, and that's only like six episodes per uh-huh. season. That is a tight little show. It's I appreciate that. It's such a great that. show. I did watch it as well. Did it make you cry? It did make me cry. I sobbed. I probably sobbed less than you. There were so many moments throughout it where I just was like cringing. Ooh. Like, as Rob is dealing with uh-huh. the Rob things. Yeah. But anyway, I don't want to spoil it. Very Everybody good. go watch it. It's great. Very good. Um, It's great and short. And it's like horrible in a totally different way than The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I would say it's a good antidote to The Handmaid's Tale because it's a lot funnier. <laughs> it <laughs> and is. And yet, ever like, so slightly less brutal. <laughs> but like every time a season of that show ends, you know, there's always like this like chaos. And I'm like, right, the show's called Catastrophe. And it'll make you miss Carrie Fisher. Oh, God, I forgot that she was in it until she showed up. And then I was like, Carrie. (laughs) Well, you know what is a catastrophe? What is a catastrophe, Molly? The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, boy, howdy. And the patriarchy in general. Indeed. (laughs) And I'm excited for this episode of Red All Over because we had wildly divergent attitudes about this episode. Once again, yeah. Which, as we know, ratings bonanza. (laughs) Well, before we get into that, let's get into a segment that we sometimes do when we remember called Red All Over. All over again again <laughs> a second time <laughs> where we go back and discuss things that we may have not covered as thoroughly in the past episodes so thank you so much before we get started to everybody who's been engaging on our facebook page and on our we individual have over a thousand likes now molly ooh, ooh, which ooh, you know yeah i'm pretty stoked about <laughs> me too you guys are so are starting great conversations you're being super respectful to each other and we appreciate that yeah it's been really amazing i feel like this week was when things really like coalesced uh-huh. maybe we've all just like been around each other long enough yeah. and like you know we know what's going on yeah it's just really amazing redheads you're the best so going back to some of the feedback that we've gotten so re-episode i believe six about the mysterious mexican town of sipica we had a couple thoughts one of our listeners tweeted us that it might be sipica which is c-i-p-i-c-a which is cypress in spanish so she thinks perhaps it refers to like the southern california town of cypress which somehow got reabsorbed into mexico so that's possible it's, a, it's definitely possible yeah i mean there's obviously friendly trade relations with okay. mexico so if Alaska's all that's left of America. <laughs> they might have been like, hey, Mexico, sure. here's Texas and most of California. Yeah. So that's a possibility, I guess. But then Allison Mick and other listeners who have this captioning said it was Sipica spelled with an X. And according to all of those guys, that is not a real city. So made up city. That's totally fine. And then another thing we got from a listener is the name of the song that is playing as Luke is experiencing his final moments of the episode, episode seven, which is called Nothing's Gonna Hurt You, Baby by a band called Cigarettes After Sex. Without even delving into the lyrics here, that is a pretty apt song to that kind of situation. (laughs) Great band name. I think that's everything we have. So thanks for interacting with us. How about let's dive into episode eight? Let's dive into episode eight. So. Called Jezebels. Now, were you immediately excited when you saw that was the title? Uh, yeah, doy. <laughs> I love Jezebels. We've been waiting for this. I don't even think we've gotten a chance to talk about Jezebels in our book recap yet. So this is going to yeah, be a real... Yeah, that's true. Boy, that book recap... I feel like we're going to get to the book recap after all of the show recaps, <laughs> and that is going to be like a four-hour episode. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I can't wait. I was looking through my notes, and I highlighted quite a bit. So stay tuned to our book recap, which will come after everything else we're doing. So this divides pretty cleanly Mm -hmm. into three sections listen you're wrong (laughs) so we have nick's backstory which i loved and you're wrong you're so wrong all right fair i really loved it and then we have the actual action of the episode taking place at jezebel's Mm -hmm. and that's sort of split between offred's interactions with moira and the commander and we get a little bit more information about nick at jezebel's as well yeah which i that was like my favorite scene me too because maybe pesto and handjobs yes and i was like that martha 
that's who I want to be. <laughs> that is a billion percent who I would be, A, because I love pesto, and B, because I love hand jobs. Have I mentioned that? I also love <laughs> being a drug dealer. So <laughs> this lady is living my dystopian dream. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to try? Do you want to tackle uh, Nick's storyline first, aka yeah. the backstory nobody wanted? Uh, it's the backstory that I didn't know I wanted, <laughs> but it did. I think maybe I'm just salty because there was like the minimum amount of Serena Joy in this episode as there's ever oh, been in an that episode. Makes sense. Well, I got no Aunt Lydia, so. and also no butts. So we did not see any butts. But honestly, everything sexual that happened in this episode was pretty horrific. Ugh. I mean. Unlike every other episode. <laughs> but I think butts would have been a little a little out of place. Fair enough. So how shall we start this discussion? So if we want to talk about Nick's backstory, mm-hmm. we get Nick is in this sort of like... Like a temp agency. Yeah, like a temp agency. It's called Worthy Path, uh-huh. which reminds me of the veterans job placement center near my house called uh swords to plowshares which i love for its biblical implications and i'm like uh excuse me did he not write on his intake form can carry boxes like come (laughs) on people i was thinking when they were going through like the jobs that he had i was thinking he was going to be like well i had a really good idea for a social network called the facebook but my friend (laughs) stole it and now is now living with justin timberlake so i gotta think of a new thing to do (laughs) Um, well and there's this guy who's like hassling him to go more quickly and i'm like guy this is not how a temp agency works no (laughs) so like there's this altercation and nick almost gets in a fist fight does get in a fist fight. did he get in a fist fight smacks the heck out of people i was writing notes oh okay i was writing notes down i was saying fight 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 as i want to do so nick gets out of there and this gray-haired guy comes Mm -hmm. out and he's like hey you know times are tough all over why don't i take you to breakfast so nick's like well maybe he's gonna pay me to give him a blowy (laughs) never follow a white man to a second location (laughs) (laughs) but nick does he sure does and this guy says that he is part of a network of men and i'm like oh god it's amway run (laughs) well i'm scared i was scared because uh, any of our listeners who watch harlots there's also let's say a fraternity of dudes uh in that show and so i immediately thought that and it made me real nervous but it wasn't it wasn't like that it Uh, was worse they're called um watch harlots (laughs) and then get back to me okay um, this is group is called the sons of jacob and this is not a good radio bit but in my notes i drew the emoji that's going like <laughs> right next to me. I was like, oh, do you guys like hang out and do like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat <laughs> sing alongs? And you're like, oh no, not he. <laughs> Jacob, uh, Jacob and Sons. That musical is terrible. Really? It's so bad. I've never seen it, but I've I never seen it, but it. I listened to it a lot in middle school. I don't know why. Like, there's like only one girl part and it's the narrator and it's Whoa. very boring. Yeah. It's <laughs> terrible. Well, I was uh, so Sons of Jacob, obviously, like another like at Woody and like, get it? Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so those would all obviously be the sons sired of Jacob, who is the reason for the whole Rachel, Leah, Bilha. Mm-hmm. sort of breeding scheme that's going on so that's very apt that yeah although that comes later that wasn't like necessarily the original in the original tenants which we oh. see a little bit later in nick's backstory like when that scheme was dreamed uh, okay. up okay also nick has biblical knowledge huh, we, oh yeah we don't get i'd like to have some biblical knowledge <laughs> of him we don't get like a solid sense of like is he a true believer or not yeah I I like that and here's why I like this backstory and why I like this episode because okay. it gave me more insight into Nick while at the same time reasserting more of the ambiguity mm. that I experienced in the book that I experienced way less in the TV oh, show. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'll buy that. Because we see his entry into the Sons of Jacob, which mm-hmm. is the result of this breakfast. This guy's like, I can get you a job. Just sign on with my cult. And Nick is like, well, my brother's drinking yeah. a bunch of whiskey in his coffee cup every morning. And, and and the overarching sort of table setting they do here is like, you know, men can't keep jobs. Men feel bad. The economy. <laughs> like, I feel like that's the only time anybody cares about the economy is like, oh, are men sad? <laughs> 
are, are they, they that's are the only, they bummed out that's the only time people care about anything oh, to yeah, be honest that's a good point <laughs> so he basically becomes the uber driver for all of the sons of jacob and he's carting them all around and by way of this backstory we get backstory on the forming of gilead uh it kind of in the same way that serena joy's backstory gives us gives us insight into that mm-hmm. so he's in the car with commander waterford commander one is one commander price or have i just been thinking too much about american psycho no that sounds right but i'm just gonna call him commander brad and commander skyler <laughs> <laughs> no kyle kyle uh had a frisbee golf tournament that day so he couldn't be in the car with them but brad and skyler are talking to commander waterford and they're talking about <laughs> so gross they're talking about ways of of increasing babies and they're like oh but the wives wouldn't go with it if we just had a concubine we got to have them there so it's like they are the ones that ruined it for themselves and what's also really interesting is that waterford is the one who is again being a very like questionable ally but he's like we have Mm -hmm. to make it so that the wives will cooperate yeah if we don't get their cooperation this is not gonna happen right and the other two are like okay whatever (laughs) accurate yeah and they ask Nick, I think, is it after he's dropped the other two off? Yeah. And Commander Waterford is like, so what do you think about this crazy handmade uh, scheme? And Nick is just like, yeah, it's a great idea. Like, what the heck else would he say? And I mean, his face, you know, his face betrays nothing, but it's like, look, he's driving a car around and, yeah. uh. I'm just trying to get five stars, man. Like, whatever <laughs> it takes. You want some water? You want some gum? <laughs> Fist bump, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is another character that has been there since the very beginning and they established that, which I guess is interesting. Yeah. I used it as a good time to like go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you were wrong because what's really, really interesting that we get about Nick's backstory is we see the death of the previous Offred. And I get that this is to motivate a couple things. It's to motivate that... It's to say very explicitly the commander has been pulling these tricks with every handmaid that he's had. He just constantly wants a girlfriend experience and that ends up killing the girl. So by virtue of that, it motivates Nick to be not jealous, but worried for June's safety, I think is what you're supposed to get. But it's also like, I also wondered if he had a relationship with the previous Offred because Serena Joy thinking that Fred is infertile uh-huh. is probably not news. Interesting. Again, it's just that ambiguity. Okay. So it, it wasn't that it was necessarily meant that way, but it was just something that I that popped into my brain as this was happening. And the other thing that was really cool to me, and this was like a delayed reaction mm. because I didn't understand it initially. So after he discovers the body of the previous Offred and Rita is like screaming her face off and there's a white van outside the house and they're loading the body into it, which I thought was a little weird. Like I feel like they would have hushed it up more because that was all right out in front of their house. Yeah. It seems odd that they'd be so open about the body. That's true. Well, this show does a lot of weird things that are more open than in the book. That's true. I think it's just another one of those. So they're loading her body in and we get our one glimpse of Serena Joy. We get a couple glimpses, but so this is the flashback glimpse. Yeah. She is standing out front with Commander Waterford and she just looks at him and says, what did you expect? And I thought this was a reference to if she had like found out that he was taking previous Offred to Jezebel's and like doing that kind of thing. And like she had uncovered the girlfriend experience. But then later when I was driving, where I do most of my thinking, (laughs) I was like, Oh, she meant the whole handmade dealy. Do you think I so? I do think that. I don't think that so. That is what I think she meant. What do you think she meant? I think it's it's closer to what you said that she knows about the girlfriend experience, which is funny that he keeps doing it even though he knows but see, she knows. I, but you're right. That's such an I interesting... I don't know that she does know about that, but I think it's a more interesting choice if what she means is, you know, look, we both knew that this Rachel Bilha mumbo jumbo wasn't going to fly. And here's your proof. That's so fascinating. Oh, I love talking to you. I would have never thought, (laughs) I would never have thought about that. But then, well, because it's not like she's enjoying it. 
I know, but she has she has resentments that she takes out against the handmaids. Yeah. But she is at least cognizant enough to understand, like, I would want to be a handmaid. Yeah, I don't know if I buy your theory, but I'm definitely intrigued by it. So, Redheads, let us know what you think about the significance of that. I'd also like to point out that the sons of Jacob, say what you will, very productive. Yeah. They gave Nick a job. Like they said they would, and they overthrew the whole government. What, you know, what has your work cohort done lately? Yeah. (laughs) And they had time to squeeze in a few extra games of disc golf in there (laughs) just for funsies and a few like back rubs too. Oh man. Yeah, you're right. Very productive. So, you know, for all of your bitching, the Nick backstory takes up very little of this episode. Ma'am, having a different opinion is not bitching. Uh, (laughs) my therapist says. <laughs> no, she says I should shut up. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. With the with the exceptions of where it bleeds over into the Jezebel story, do you think that's about as much as we get since so it's, it's wrapping up the yeah, storyline? Yeah, because okay. I mean I would say whatever else we see from Nick is part of the rest of the main storyline. Fair enough. <laughs> Though I will say a bunch of times we did get a very strong answer to our continuous question, what's in the box? (laughs) (laughs) He constantly showed us the content of his boxes and I appreciate that. So thank you. They have been listening. Face butter watch continues into episode Where's our face butter though? (laughs) Where is it? It's not on a face. I'll tell you that much. They're just toying with our emotions now because at the end of the episode when Serena Joy gives her the box, I'm like, oh girl. (gasps) Okay. I thought a totally different thing was going to be in there. Oh, Mitch thought chocolates. And he was like, if one more person gives her chocolates, I swear to God. I thought it was going to be a picture of Hannah. But there wasn't. But you know what is in that box is a mirror. I know. I thought that and too. a mirror can be broken and used to slash one's wrists. I know. I thought so. That too. I thought that too. Is thought Serena that too. Joy deliberately setting her up I don't to repeat? So. I don't think so. I don't think that that Serena Joy does that because I think at this point Serena Joy has invested so much in Alfred that she can't risk losing that investment. So it's more her what do you trying mean to invest it in. I think she's invested in her because in terms of breeding stock. But what difference does it make if it's her or somebody else? Because you have to start all over. Well, yeah, but it's not like, you know, you get to reset ovulation every month. No. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. Did you just woman explain ovulation to me? I, I am undergoing measure schmerz as we speak. I did. And honestly, <laughs> I see the appeal. I get why men keep doing this. <laughs> I just mean that I think that she's even expended a bunch of like quasi-emotional effort mm-hmm. in bringing up Offred thus far. Even, I mean, when she, like, quote-unquote, like, trusts her with information about the commander and when she's, like, trusting her to, like, not tell about, like, having sex with Luke and, or, pardon me, Nick, she goes out of her way to, like, pimp her out to Nick, which I I personally don't think has happened before. Um, I don't know, but what I would say is that she only pimmed her out to Nick because her time there is running out. I see. Well, and I think her, in her mind she could be thinking, "Oh, Nick hasn't made it happen either. Maybe mm. she's not as fertile as we thought." But Mama wants a new handmaid. Yeah, I just think that knowing how integral she is to have having set up this society, it doesn't do her any good to have handmaids kill themselves on her watch well so. not when they're not hushing it up <laughs> exactly <laughs> we're jumping way ahead so shall we dive into the jezebel's portion of yes this episode? let's do it so we have to start i suppose with the commander and offred offred is kind of beating herself up at the beginning of this episode for being a weakling i believe there's all in- the fucking weakling and i'm like oh honey i know it made me really sad be kind to yourself this is nobody could have predicted this self-care is okay except for the sons of jacob <laughs> yeah except for all the people who were complicit <laughs> Nobody could have predicted this. She calls herself a weakling in regards to sleeping with with Nick. And I have to ask, now that we know, we have something in the book that we didn't have, like near concrete proof that Luke is alive somewhere. And even she knows yeah. that he's alive. So does her knowing that Luke is alive somewhere change how you feel about her having this affair with Nick? No, but I also think monogamy is pointless <laughs> so <laughs> i may not be the uh right. the joe schmo you want to ask about this i mean look to me 
these are extenuating circumstances. I agree. And even if you've agreed to be monogamous, even if you're in extenuating circumstances, <laughs> I mean, okay, yes, okay, let's, let's play this out. So she okay. is reunited with Luke. Yay. She's like, hey, I was a captive and a fertility slave uh-huh. in a society where I was ritualistically raped repeatedly. Go on. I was under constant threat of physical violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was like the one thing that I could do for myself that was nice because they never gave me any butter. You whore. No, like Luke's going to be like, hey, you know I what? Know. Like we're together now. Like it just doesn't make any sense with what we know about Luke. Totally. I, I understand. Agree. Why, I agree too. I understand why she's beating herself up because when you're in these kind of situations, I think there's this impulse to be harsh on yourself sure. as a means of like pretending you have some control because oh, it's like everybody else is punishing her. She, at least if she's punishing herself, mm-hmm. she has some kind of power. She's pretending Ooh. that she has power. That's deep. I like that. Redheads, let us know what you think. But I also agree. I think it's like prison rules. Like, you can't be, ex- if, if it's more of like survival and comfort than it is her like having an emotional affair or anything. So. Well, and she is leaving out the part where if she stops sleeping with Nick, she has no more reason to trust Nick than we do. Right. There's no reason that if she was like, oh, hey, I'm stopping this. Mm-hmm. And they don't really get into it in the show, but I would think it's kind of percolating under there. Like, he could go and report her anytime. Yeah. Oof. He's an eye. Ugh. Nothing's going to happen to him. Ugh. It's so hard for women in this show. <laughs> it's so hard for women in everywhere, Molly. Oh, boy. Then we get the commander coming to her and getting her ready to go to Jezebel's. And what's so funny about this is that... If these same actions happened to you with someone you liked, it would be a fairy tale. No. No. No? I don't want any of this that happened, even consensually. I just think, I think, like, hear me out. I wrote, men shaving us equals no. (laughs) (laughs) Some people find that very erotic. Not me, because I don't shave. (laughs) But some people like the very, like, idea of, like, dudes doing small cleanliness tasks for you. Like, look at, like, hair washing out of Africa. Some people think that's cool. Uh, I would maybe. You wouldn't think it was cool. Here, let me pitch this The hair washing, maybe. Okay, how about this? How about the idea that if somebody you liked said, we're going on a date, I got you a cool outfit, I got you some new makeup, Mm -hmm. here you go. Mm -hmm. That would be cool. That would be fine. But it's not because everything is rape and bad in this society. Right, right, right. I just think it's funny. I don't even mind. I don't even mind that he got her address and makeup. Yeah. I mind the put like the act, the act of involvement that he has. Totally. With getting her ready. And I have thoughts about that too. But I just, I want to present the idea that all of this stuff that's happening is a fairy tale by another name in that any of these things, if it was happening, happening to you with somebody that you were in a consensual relationship with would be romantic but because they're with the commander and they're because they're in this fraught situation they're automatically sinister and horrifying my other note from this scene is commander equals creepy oh so (laughs) creepy and courtly commander is the creepiest it's so awful and like this whole sequence if you're a man listening to this (laughs) i feel the way that offred feels daily yeah i feel that everything could be a trick yeah because he's like giving her this makeup bag and she's like, is this one of those like free like Clinique ones? Because you know, those never match my skin tone. <laughs> you know, what would have been funny is what, funny and horrifying <laughs> is like the sinister version of in pretty woman where he opens the jewelry box and like almost closes her hand in it. <laughs> I would so put it past the, the commander to be like, I saw this in a movie once. This is going to be so funny. She's in a little, and she like uh, flinches. You know, pretty woman is like his favorite movie. Uh, uh, uh. Loki, that is a problematic fave of mine, but we'll con- <laughs> I digress. So the only reason, the only reason that I like that pretty woman exists is yeah. because it inadvertently led to the part in the princess diaries where she eats <laughs> too much of the sorbet yes. and says it's too cold because that actually happened on set for pretty woman and wow. they couldn't put it in that movie. But Gary Marshall, oh. he was thinking about it all those years. And he was like, I'm going to give this to you and oh. Hathaway. And there's so many other pretty woman, uh, princess 
diaries crossovers. That's a, there are. I mean, when she flicks something and she breaks it, he goes, it happens all the time. And that happens with the s- snail shells in Pretty Woman. Same actor, too. Oh, it's my great. God. Anyway, so <laughs> let's talk about an idea that I think you were bringing up about how he totally takes away her agency in grooming things that she used to be able to do for herself and how icky that is. It's super icky. And she, we do get the sort of conversation here about we're not allowed to have razors. That was interesting. So, we brought well, that up before. Yeah. Huh? And well, and suicide is a motif through this whole. Oh, yeah. Episode. Yeah, yeah. Even when we get into talking to Moira, I mean, that's sort of the implication is that this is just a slow suicide. It is just, you know, the only time I've ever found a man like taking care of a woman like this non creepy is in the movie Secretary. Also problematic. The problematic. (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. (laughs) I enjoyed it as well, but it did give me nightmares for weeks. Oh my god, it gave you nightmares? Very confused sexual nightmares. Anyway. It's really strange. Also, I blame the handmaid's tale for the fact that last night I had a dream about breastfeeding a child and I enjoyed it. (gasps) Oh my god, what does that mean? Really weird. That's weird. It was really weird. Please tweet your Handmaid's Tale related nightmares because I know <laughs> you guys are having them. I'm having them like crazy. But in Secretary, what does he do? I forget. Well, she has been sitting in and the wedding in dress <laughs> that she was supposed to wear to marry that other guy. Yeah. And, you know, not eating. So he comes and he brings her a milkshake. Yeah. He picks her up. He takes her to his house, yep. gets her out of the dress and he bathes her. Yep. And then they do it. And I'm like, oh my yeah. God. But they do it like not like put a saddle on me and do it. They do it. Yeah, like they do that later. Normal. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but what's interesting about this too is that the sex in this book that is part of the ceremony, so the rape in this book, has been devoid of like the male gaze in that it's been with his wife there. It's been like look up well, and, and think of England. It's not from his POV. Well, but exactly. But it's like not sexual. And so him taking her and putting her in the trappings of male gaze by like shaving her legs mm-hmm. and putting makeup on her that doesn't look anything no- near how she used to do her makeup. Yeah. Is him taking control of this person who used to be just breeding stock and making her an object of his lust. And even just we see this very um, subtly in the way that he doesn't let her hold the mirror to put her makeup on. He holds it. So he is constantly in this episode controlling how she sees herself. And that is fucked up. Also, I hate blush. Yeah, me too. I, I Blush is so it. stupid. Why are we continuing with blush, ladies? Like, I'm not. Can we have like a mini revolution here and just stop using it? Yeah. I have like a little like highlighter that I'll use, but like she looks like a clown with yeah. this makeup on. Well, she's doing very like uh, subsistence makeup where she's using like <laughs> lipstick. The t- turning it into blush. Subsistence um, <laughs> She's like, excuse me, do you have the naked palette or no? <laughs> because Urban Decay? Urban I need de- I need primer. Sorry. Where is the primer? <laughs> oh, you're telling me Serena Joy doesn't have primer? Excuse okay. Me, I need a Smashbox photo finish, the green. <laughs> I'm very pink. But it's so jarring to see her with makeup on, huh? It is very jarring, and he has the dress. And at no point has he told her where they're going or what they're doing. So she So thinks, this whole thing yeah. has a much more horror movie feeling that I think like it's it's really well executed. It is, but again, the funny thing is, if you recut this with like this kiss, this kiss, <laughs> or or uh, what's the Sixth Sense None the Richard song? Um, kiss me, me if you eat the milky twilight. If somebody me. recuts it with that song, you're like, oh, <laughs> and she comes down the stairway, and it's like that part, and she's all that, and you're like, oh, uh, redheads. I know one of you can make this happen for us. <laughs> Please recut this. Please make just make it it better for us. <laughs> so then he think, says, I don't think what. You think is going to happen when you watch that is going to happen. <laughs> it's just going to ruin She's All That for you. Eh, um, Although Paul Walker's death has already done that for me. So <laughs> Then he says, not Paul Walker, but Commander. <laughs> Paul Walker is not in this, but Paul he is Walker there in spirit. Paul Walker would be a terrible commander. Anyway, okay. <laughs> he would drive his own car, though. So <laughs> Anyway. Um, so then the commander says... I'm taking you out, which and Margaret was, Atwood is like, mm-hmm, see? And what Kelly Anakin said was, I woo tonight, 
uh, I have to go. Tonight. That anyway, sh- that shrillness was brought to you by the Broadway musical Rent. And Jonathan Larson, also dead. R.I.P. Do you think he and Paul Walker are friends in the afterlife? Oh, come on. Of course they are. <laughs> of course they are. He's like, where, Paul Walker is like, with a thousand sweet cars. He's like, if you're road and you're lonely. <laughs> That no, was uh, if you're excerpt- fast and you're furious. <laughs> I would say that's an excerpt from Fast and the Furious, <laughs> Fast Two Off Broadway. Uh- <laughs> I was seeing them more just like sort of tooling along in like a really Aww. cool like vintage Cadillac with like sunglasses, the being like, "We'll open up a franchise in Santa Fe, <laughs> in heaven." <laughs> There's yeah. Santa Fe. In I assume there's a Santa Fe in heaven. I hear great things about it. Everybody says it's very spiritual in Santa Fe. <laughs> oh, we're delightful. <laughs> so then, oh, he says something I thought bears just a teensy bit of discussion is he says that Serena Joy is visiting her mother. What? what? Serena Joy gets a mother? Yeah. WTF. <laughs> so where I just want to know where do the why where do the mothers of commanders go is she also the wife of a commander what's her deal is there an old folks home i don't know and we don't find out (sighs) just for a society that only has room for x amount of women i'm just surprised that serena joy's mom is floating around somewhere i don't know but what are they gonna do send her to the colonies that's what i'm saying i obviously not because she's rich but <laughs> i don't know where they are Ew, do you think know. like rich women go on like mission trips to the colonies Ew. gross <laughs> you know they do but it's like not even like the real colonies Ew, it's yeah. like a fake disneyland version Ew. Ugh. gross so they're in the car and mitch mentioned something interesting here that i didn't get because i'm so focused on what i know is going to happen and he says was what he found jarring about them going in the car and going to jezebel's together is he goes this means the commander could get her out at any time and just doesn't oh my god well why would he i know that's what i was saying he has no incentive to do that like this is his dream he's living his dreams i know but he took an aptitude test and they were like (laughs) leader in a dystopia and he was like I will make it so. I agree. But I also thought that was an interesting point to bring up. Well, and Alfred's attitude this whole time is this sort of like mask of a smile. The same mm. way that I look when I pretend to like a band so that a guy will sleep with me. Oof. Like, no, I love Neutral Milk Hotel. <laughs> hey, that is a good band. No, dis- disagree. <laughs> dislike. I know, but it's, it's scary <laughs> Look, because and I should like them because the idea of writing an entire album about Anne Frank is exactly the kind of morbid bullshit that I love. But when all you're going to do is be like, <laughs> that's my impression. Sorry, of Neutral is Milk that the Tarzan yell as Neutral Milk Hotel? No, that is when I hear Neutral Milk Hotel. That's how it sounds in my head. Oh, boy. But <laughs> you're right in that this is a face women have had for centuries. They're like. I'll be nice to you, so please don't kill me. Our mothers are like, keep making that face and pray it gets stuck please. that way. Ugh. I don't want you to die, baby girl. Baby. This whole time, Nick is looking all weird. Surly. And I'm like, Nick, I don't know how old you are, okay? <laughs> That's the other thing about these flashbacks. I'm like, I have no idea how old He's this person is. He's looked the same for years. So he is getting all pissy and i'm like boo boo jealousy has no place in a dystopia there's no room for it whether you're a true believer or not you did play a role in bringing this about so you can't be angry or sad or like you don't get to have feelings so here's what i think we get at the end of the episode is this whole opening part we're supposed to think like oh man he caught feelings and now he's jealous of the commander and Alfred. And she, I think, certainly thinks that he's jealous. Yeah. But what we get at the end is that it's not that he's jealous. It's that he's terrified because it's her going down the same path mm-hmm. the Alfred that killed herself went. So Maybe. I think I'd like to give Maybe. our side piece the benefit of the doubt and say that he was just worried for her safety and her I life. don't because I think he's an asshole. <laughs> well, then why did you want his backstory? Because I wanted to be confirmed in his assholery so that I could be mad at him as a proxy for problems in my personal life. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> 
the commander asks Alfred to like lie down. So they go through the checkpoint. When she gets up, he goes, was that scary? Which is very similar to when the car crashes and she says to Hannah, did the car go boom? Well, and it's weird because the commander is bizarrely, he's like a parasite on her terror. Because it's not just that he's, you know, like nothing's going to happen to him. He is getting off on the risk for her. He's getting off on, I think, this very courtly idea of like, don't worry, fair maiden, I will protect you. <laughs> Although those wife capes and hoods are dope. They are dope, but I also think they play into this Cinderella idea, which we see again and again and mm-hmm. again. I agree. I just like that cape. It's a very cool cape. I like it outside of its patriarchal implications. Let's all get capes. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the cape triarchy. <laughs> That's the name of my cape shop. <laughs> cape Triarchy. <laughs> Could I be the assistant manager? Absolutely. Great. I shouldn't have too much uh, power. The assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> um, so they finally, finally get to Jezebel's and you didn't like this song and I dug it. So they played White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Yes. I'm saying that slowly because I constantly get them confused with Jefferson Starship. That's fair. Also, Grace Slick, lead singer of Jefferson Airplane, Scorpio. God. (laughs) Boom. Gross. (laughs) So you didn't, did you like this song? Because I thought it was really neat. I thought it was stupid. Why? Because Alfred is presumably about my age. Okay. This is not, to me, the song that should play. Like, give me some Marilyn Manson. Give me some System of a Down. Like, she didn't even take any drugs. But I think that... I agree with you about the the um time period because I they also kind of- think it's lazy because everybody knows the definitive film and TV White Rabbit sequence <laughs> is in Terry Gilliam's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So it's like, why are you even bothering? It, but I think I think it's appropriate. But I get what you're saying about Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. But I think that those songs are too hard. While this song conveys like the sexuality. How about Nine Inch Nails? Which song? Closer. No. <laughs> You're wrong. Let's see. If I was going to pick... I can't think of a contemporary song that I would pick. Oh, I know. <laughs> that one Panic at the Disco song. <laughs> that's like, it's these of Santa Motels on the la-la-la-la-la. No, that's wrong. Fremont. Nope, that's like, right. Look, I understand. Like, you want it to be kind of slow and meditative and like have this build. So, Redheads, if you have an alternative suggestion, <laughs> we'd love to hear them because clearly we're not going to come to a consensus. <laughs> See, well, I would prefer... Oh, shoot. Is it is it Toxicity, the one that I'm thinking of? Oh, you're thinking of like, Toxic by Britney Spears. Yes, that would be a good one. <laughs> that would also be... Okay. You know what? We can agree on that. Toxic. Repl- replace every song in this show with Toxic. Great show. <laughs> Great show. Just perfect show. The system of the downtown is like, wake up. Makeup. See? See? You want a bit. It's just as thematically on the nose as all of their other choices. That could be kind of interesting. Okay, I'm going to give that a tentative okay, but I really liked uh, White Rabbits. Uh, Especially because, if we're going to talk about on the nose, Moira has bunny ears. Um, yeah, but she's not a Playboy bunny. Yeah, her costume in this is like very much more conservative than her costume it, in the book. I didn't even read that they were bunny ears. I thought it was just like a weird hat, like a fascinator. No, I think it, it's very dark uh, in the club, so it's hard to see, but I think she has bunny That's ears. That's true. And I did, I did watch this on my laptop screen and not my TV screen. So, oh, okay. I think the, I think I'm going to just say in the book, she, this is not a spoiler. In the book at Jezebel's, Moira is wearing a Playboy bunny costume. And I think that is so, much more thematically interesting when we think of a couple things. One, we think of the idea that they burn nudie magazines. Mm-hmm. So they burn Playboy and that's like the first sign of something's going on. Secondly, the kind of at odds image of Playboy with it being at once very historically progressive in terms of like race and in terms of certain gender politics, but at the same time being like, no, also titties. And then <laughs> number three. That's the name of my cape store. <laughs> Also titties. (laughs) And then three, I think it would be interesting for Moira to be wearing the Playboy Bunny costume because she's somebody who's kind of like a subversive in this sexual environment, much like Gloria Steinem when she infiltrated the Playboy Club. Plus, I love Playboy. The end. Also Elle Woods. Oh, Um, so Elle Woods. Oh, God. Elle Woods would be the worst slash funniest handmaid to watch. She would be a hilarious handmaid, but you know she'd be a wife. 
<laughs> She'd be like, okay, okay, wait, Warner? Okay, so <laughs> apparently the sons of Jacob have slaughtered Congress, and I just can't be with you. Whoever said that blue was the new red was seriously disturbed. So I think that that's why I missed the Playboy outfit, but this, like, tur- see-through turtleneck is fine, I guess. Yeah, and... I miss, and it's hard to tell, again, I was not watching it on a full screen, but what I loved about the whole Jezebel sequence in the book is that you get the sense that all of these outfits have been sort of gleaned, mm. and, like, these are not, like, nice outfits. These are, no. like, things that they've saved from the rubbish bin. Exactly. And, you know, they're they're kind of misshapen mm-hmm. and faded, and it's this sort of decay yeah. of this type of thing and we don't get that here but it's also very dark and it's hard to get all of that kind of nuance in film the other thing i want to talk about before we talk about i think something really important to discuss is there is a uh slutty handmaid (laughs) some one of the women in jezebel's is wearing like a handmaid's hat a cape likely from the cape triarchy yep and uh, product placement cape no triarchy. it's from also boobs because it's sexy that's right uh and a bra so she's wearing a costume that do you think we're gonna see any sexy handmaids this year because i already saw i saw i at halloween because i saw a handmaid at beta breakers and it was very tastefully done and cool but it was also like oh girl maybe i wouldn't do it i wouldn't do it either because it's like i'd only do it if it was like a group I would do- And we all like went and like stood outside all of the strip joints in North Beach. <laughs> I would do a handmade costume, but I think sexy handmade is is in poor taste just because of all It's an the- oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just in poor taste because of all the rape that goes on in, in this book, but certainly something interesting. And it's interesting that they fetishize that too. Like they would Well, want- and we see this later mm-hmm. after sort of the main action of of things where the commander goes down but she's walking past a door and they're doing Mm -hmm. handmade wife role play i know and that to me was the most upsetting thing really yeah that was the most upsetting that was the most upsetting thing to me okay well besides some issues that i had that i'll bring up that are more structural okay um (laughs) but i was just like ah like she shouldn't have to see that it's just but it's like what do we covet? We covet what we see every day. So it yeah. makes sense that that would be a fantasy of theirs. But well, it's and I also like, have questions like, who are these guys? Like, is it that they want the wives and the handmaids to be interact? Because the wife is sort of like, yeah, it's hard to tell, but it is like there's some sexy interaction yeah, happening yeah. there. Absolutely. And so is well, it that? It is be... it that they're men that don't have handmaids assigned to them? No, like, I think they do, but I think they want it to be more like a threesome than it is. Yeah. Uh, than just this very cut dry. Uh, I don't know what threesomes you've been involved in, but mine were exactly like this. They were exactly like the ceremony. <laughs> well, that's very respectful of you. <laughs> Let's get to the thing that's being unsaid here is we had a discussion on our Facebook group this week regarding an article on Bust, I think, that was about where are the fat women in the handmaid's tale? And it sparked a lot of the, a lot of debate. The thesis of this was that there were only skinny women in the handmaid's tale and what happened to the representation of fat women in this world. And it sparked a lot of debate. Yeah. And you know more about the debate because I was driving a lot of yesterday oh, okay. and a lot of the conversation happened yesterday. So, so I started this discussion off. But with kind of my answer that I almost always have in these kinds of situations, which is I felt like this was something that happens a lot, which is why, which is like the idea that women's shows need to mean everything to everybody all the time, mm-hmm. which is a rhetoric that really frustrates me because nobody, honestly, nobody while it was going on was like, hey, how come Seinfeld doesn't date women of color? How come Seinfeld doesn't date fat women? Like... No one holds men-led and men-focused shows to this same kind of standard. And it honestly, if women are upset about the lack of people that look like them in the show, that's fine. But to be like, this is a systemic problem that there aren't fat women in Handmaid's Tale, I just feel like is such a... Well, it is a systemic problem in Hollywood. To me, it's Mm -hmm. ludicrous to hold The Handmaid's Tale to a different standard than literally every other show i agree and you know i'm sure that these articles exist for like game of thrones which does have a fat character fat walda whose (laughs) name has fat in it so i don't think it's exactly progress no i don't think so um but we do see a fat woman in this brothel yeah which to me 
maybe it's a result of this conversation where it's like, okay, and there are, and they, this is linked to in that study, there are studies that suggest there's a link between obesity and infertility. Which is what a lot of people are saying. And yeah. a lot of people are saying practically, though I think this is giving the showrunners a mulligan that they didn't Oh, yeah, out. I totally agree. Like, I don't <laughs> think they were thinking about this at all. I think they just <laughs> cast skinny women because they cast skinny women because that's how Hollywood works, unfortunately. But I think some people are saying like, well, there was systemic food shortages in Gilead, mm-hmm. so people just either lost weight or died or whatever, which is kind of like me. They just didn't do it. And yeah. because you don't cast fat people. Yeah. Like that is our society. That's the society that we live in. That's not Gilead. Right. No, I agree with you. And, you know, I don't like it. I don't like it either, but I was, I just think in all of the other things that this show has to talk about, it doesn't bother me that it doesn't talk about this. And again, I, like I said on the Facebook page, I'll acknowledge my privilege as somebody who has a bigger body, but definitely one that is, um, skews more towards uh, regular standards. Yeah. So I, there's my privilege. To me, it seems like a case of, Women shows have to mean everything to everybody. And also, somebody brought up this great point on the Facebook page. They're like, this is a show about women getting constantly raped and undermined. Do you? So you're saying you wish there was also a fat woman to get raped and undermined? I mean, I understand. I I understand wanting to see that experience. But I would also say, and somebody else brought this up, but they were like, "Uh, wouldn't the commanders probably have a no fat chicks rule? Oh, like, come on. What do we know about these guys? They're assholes. Yeah. They're vain. Yeah. And they have certainly absorbed and are now codifying a lot of ideas about female beauty that what? are messed up. So it's certainly an ongoing discussion. You know how we feel about it now. One reader said something that I think is is poignant. She goes, I see what you're saying about not holding shows aimed at women to higher standards than shows aimed at men. That doesn't mean they can't be better and can't be critiqued. Feminism, which doesn't address fat phobia, isn't feminism. So good point. Everybody knows how we feel. Let's keep talking. Let's just keep the discussion going, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, again, I'm, I'm t- I have no problem with these kind of critiques. Mm-hmm. That doesn't bother me. But again, I think you have to make these critiques. And it was the tone of the article. I had no real problem with the tone of any of the comments that I read. Nor did but I. the tone of the article was so hostile. And it, and it also used way too many adverbs, and I freaking hate that. <laughs> J.K. Rowling, I'm looking at you. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Maul. I'm older than you. <laughs> Did I have you- to tell you, this whole brothel environment made me long for the feminism of uh, Magic Mike 2. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, where's Donald Glover? What a boom. Where's Channing Tatum? Where's anybody? Man, that part in Magic Mike 2 is just a great part. <laughs> Such a great part. Oh, Jada Pinkett Smith, I don't care what your weird relationship with Will Smith is. You can do no wrong. Do it. Get it. I hope your kids turn out okay. Where's the spinoff that's just about her and Elizabeth Banks' character? Uh, I would watch that. I would watch that every day. Magic Mike 3D. Let's pick (gasps) it. The D stands for Derek. (laughs) Um, Another part that disturbed me in the brothel is... This, this part where there is a commander in the elevator, he's, he's licking the amputated arm of a handmaid. Yeah. That was the worst part of this whole episode for me. I see. Just because if we're following the nature of this world, that was likely a reject handmaid who got caught doing something bad. And so they cut her hand off. Yeah. And he's like all like all over it. It's disgusting. Well, I mean, those people exist called devotees who fetishize women who have disabilities. Right. That's the other weird thing, though, about this show is like we've talked about like like there is visibility for people with disabilities. But Mm -hmm. again, because of the nature of Gilead. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, but like, did Gilead make them disabled? And mm-hmm. like, does that count it's as representation? Yeah, hard to say. She here's a here's a book deviation. She orders a Manhattan instead of a G and T watered down. Any make anything of that? I don't like Manhattan, so no. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, slow down, baby girl. You gotta ease into it. Get an appletini or something because <laughs> you can't just go drinking such a alcohol forward drink after not drinking. No, forever. but she's been having. Oh, that's right. She's been having scotch with him in the study. I take it back. This is something else that I find really weird. Hmm. 
so the handmaids are not supposed to do anything bad. You know, yeah. they're not supposed to drink or smoke or have sugar even. Right. But Serena Joy and the commander are constantly giving this bitch things that she should yeah. not have. And it's like, do you want to get pregnant or not? <laughs> like, is this all just you guys being like, we're not ready? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be the like after school special end of this episode where they're like, I guess we just weren't ready. And they all <laughs> clink scotch glasses. And smoke a joint cigarette. <laughs> They're teenagers doing this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I guess this is a good time to bring up the part where the, uh, Luke, uh, what's his name? Nick? <laughs> yeah, you keep calling him Luke. Oh, that shows where my loyalties lie. Yeah. Um, yeah. OT is weeping. Mm, don't cry. He's like, don't put me in that category. <laughs> don't put me in that so box. So I love this scene so much because Nick goes down into sort of like this kitchen where there's a Martha hanging out mm-hmm. and he gives her this bag and he's like, yeah, there's like Oxy, Percocet, like all Ketamine. the, mean, a whole, a whole slew. And pregnancy tests. And uh, he gives it to her. And then she gives him. What does she give him? They trade something. Wine. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 No. He brings her alcohol. And then on the DL trades her the drugs and the pregnancy tests. And sh- I don't know what I'd she I'd have to go back and look him. exactly. At, but anyway. And then he brings her basil. Basil from Serena Joy's garden. Yeah. So she's like, oh, cool. I'll make you that pesto that mm. got me nominated for a James Beard Award. And that was like a knife in my heart because I love Top Chef. I love pesto. I love pesto. I love pasta. And he's like, no. And like he's being all weird. And she like goes to kiss him because they've obviously like had like a thing going on. And he's like, not tonight. And it's like, oh, my God. Men, (laughs) cut this shit out. Cut it out. You need to evolve because it is ridiculous. Because she doesn't even care. She's like, all right. She's like, what are you on your period? Because uh, he just like he doesn't see it, just broods away. Ugh. He just floats on a cloud of his own brooding, and it's like all you have to say is, "Hey, I can't. Like, I'm in a weird place. My tummy hurts." Something. Yeah, you don't have to tell her the whole thing, but don't be like, "I'm gonna make you feel bad by withholding information." Ugh. Like, fuck you, Nick. Whatever. That's so lame. The other disturbing thing we get from that exchange is that uh, some of the dudes have sleeping beauty fetishes. Which is a lot like the movie Sleeping Beauty starring Ugh. Emily Browning. Ugh, which I, s- I watched and I was like, I don't get it. I know. There's not really a lot of context to it other than, hey, want to see Emily Browning naked and sleeping with horrible dudes? Here you go. Apparently I did. But again, that's another tie to like the very sinister nature of fairy tales, which we are constantly reminded of in this I mean, in this show. romance is just the ceremony sure you know like dudes thought it up to trick us (laughs) tell me i'm wrong the brothers grim Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanna... Mother Goose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was an aunt, clearly. <laughs> Which I, I want to bring up a little bit before it's time to talk about, but the idea that Serena Joy gives her a music box that plays a song from Swan Lake. Another you mean from Black Swan. Oh, jeez. My favorite different- movie, Black Swan. <laughs> no, no. Again, in the same way that you can't use White Rabbit here, you can't have a music box that plays Swan Lake. Yes, you can. No, you can't, Molly. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's derivative. It's sloppy. Ugh. It's good. It's derivative and right. sloppy. Let's talk about Moira because you're making me mad. <laughs> uh, I thought having a different opinion didn't count as bitching. <laughs> Wow. Um, all right. You're right. I apologize. Hoisted on your own petard. <laughs> I have a little ish with the way things play out with Moira here. Okay. <laughs> so they go and they meet in the bathroom and they talk very briefly. Oof. But then an aunt spots Moira and says, you were just in here. Get back out there. Mm-hmm. So she does. And she tells June hey meet me in the dormitory later so after that like june june gets back out with the commander and like i don't even really want to talk like it's not really worth mentioning too much what happens because basically he takes her up to a room we don't see him raping her but that obviously is what happened is this the same hotel she went to with luke (laughs) i didn't notice i don't think that it is but we did see her looking out the window at the view and she and luke had talked about that a bit when they were like not planning to meet at a hotel to have exactly. sex so she does that and then once he's asleep she sneaks out 
And this is where she sees the handmade role play. So my issue is this. Once again, the showrunners have decided to force these characters to make choices (laughs) that are real fucking stupid. Yeah. Because no way could she sneak out on the commander like this. I agree. Wouldn't he be expecting something like that? Yeah. And for her to go and get into the dormitory, I'm assuming, wouldn't there be some kind of security checks? Something. And would they then let her leave? I know. It was so horribly I, risky. It made me very angry. And I really hope that in season two, they stop having the characters do such dumb, dumb, dumb stuff. Exactly. Because, I mean, I'm like, what is even the point of this? You could have kept that whole scene in the in the bathroom, yeah, which is what I was hoping for. I think this was a device by which to show the messed upness of the other parts of the brothel. So the two okay, scenes fine. that we talked about, but like that could be on her way back from the bathroom. Yeah. To be honest. You could have put this in anywhere. And it is yeah. to me it is a cheap ploy to have additional locations that are unnecessary and don't move the plot forward. Oh, I'm with you there. Anyway, that's my ish. And then I, I have a secondary ish that I'll address after we talk about Moira. Okay. So Moira, she did just as she does in the book where she escaped for a little bit and then was eventually on the underground female road. road. First ref. Ooh. Get it? <laughs> Get it? <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> so sardonic. <laughs> That's great. We got the first reference to that, which is excellent. Only took eight episodes. <laughs> and I started sobbing. <laughs> Oh, really? When they hug each other, I lost it because I just thought of all of my friends and how like female friendship to me is one of the most important parts of being alive. Mm -hmm. And so to just have like this tiny island of affection in such a shit show of an episode made me lose my mind. Gotcha. So, and I'm sorry for fighting with you so much this episode. I love you and I Molly, would take care okay. of you. Molly, it's okay. Sometimes we are going to have disagreements and we still love each other and The Handmaid's Tale, so it's fine. Okay. Anyway. Good scene. And it's sad. I think what's so sad about this part in the book and in the move in the show is that Moira's the strongest woman we know. And if Moira's given up, what po- what hope do any of us have? And so and we find out she wasn't sent back to the Red Center at all. Yeah. Which I think that also strikes me as a little bit weird. Like I feel right. like they would have tried to rehabilitate her a little bit. Yeah, they didn't even try. They didn't even do a clitectomy or anything. No. So yeah, I you agree. know, who knows? Who knows what the reasoning was? Obviously, uh, not thought of as terribly important. Yeah. So she, you know, she's like, I get to drink and smoke. And she doesn't say what she says in the book, which is that, you know, she can like bang other these other women. women. Yeah. But I mean, she's just totally like broken here and it's very sad. And, you know, it's, it's much shorter than it is in the book. The sequence of Moira telling her story is so long in the book, but we only get the highlights here. Moira is also more affectionate with her in this version than she is in the book. In the book, in the book, she's kind of just like, it is what it is. Get away. Mm-hmm. I think not out of lack of inner affection, but just in a self-preservation kind of way. But I think this was made more heartbreaking because she loves her so much and she's constantly thinking about her. Uh-huh. Oh, it breaks my heart. Yeah. So. It's really sad and June has to go back up, you know, with the commander and, and Nick yeah. drives them home. And uh And he even says explicitly the commander says, You're going to turn into a pumpkin. It's like so please stop. <sighs> Cut it out. Unless you want to do this ever after podcast. You're then not, I don't want to talk about it. You're not cute. Okay. <laughs> you're not cute. Nobody likes you. <laughs> You're not cute. I'm just going to say that to like any man that like steps to me like, oh, you're not even cute. So Uh, my other question is, who drove Serena Joy to her mom? Yeah. Isn't this the kind of thing you keep Nick around for? I like to think that there's like a shuttle and it like once a month it takes the mother shuttle, the mother shuttle. It takes you to the mother ship, Uh which is where they all live. But you're right. That is weird. Who drove her? She took a Uber. <laughs> hey, is it your first no, time you know, in the city? They have some stupid biblical name for it, like chariots with a Z. <laughs> I'll give you five donkeys out of six donkeys because uh, you didn't offer me any water. <laughs> and you drove a little bit fast. <laughs> I'm going to rate you a Barabbas. <laughs> Would not chariots again. Would not chariots again. <laughs> De- hashtag delete chariots. <laughs> And I found Serena Joy's homecoming even sadder in the wake of knowing that 
they had just come off of having this kind of forbidden reunion, her and the commander. Uh-huh. So it's even sadder that even in light of them reconnecting sexually again, he still wants the girlfriend experience. He still wants the girlfriend experience with Offred. And she is so, Serena Joy is so affectionate uh-huh. when she greets him and she's so genuinely excited to have him back and to see her home again. And he just totally is a dick. Oh, it made me, it broke my heart. You know it, why? Why? Cause he's not cute he's not cute oh my <laughs> god and nick is just so sullen i'm like nick why are you five he is cute quit being five yeah nick is cute <laughs> but you're very immature nick uh you need to pull it together but like i keep Eat the pesto nick <laughs> you can't have any dessert until you eat your pesto <laughs> Yeah. They'd be like, I don't even want any dessert. I'm not going to tell you why. This whole episode is just dudes acting petulant as fuck. Uh, stop being petulant. We have bigger problems. And if you're not cute, don't be anything. Yeah. <laughs> Cease to exist, please. All right. Have we exhausted this episode? Yeah. So the only thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is almost, I almost wanted to put this in red all over again. You but should have. I want to point out again, because it all, but it also ties in with the idea of representation of fat actresses is just this question of race again. And it came up for me again in this episode because I was thinking about like, I talk about race with my friends. I have a pretty diverse circle of friends. What's up? Yeah. What's up, girl? (laughs) Uh, We talk about it. You Uh know, I mean, not, we're not like belaboring the point. We're not all constantly reading like academic articles about it, but you know, you'll make a reference to, you know, being Latina Uh or I'll like make fun of myself for being white and liking (laughs) system of a down and you know, like things like, and I, I don't mean that they need to like address race in all caps, Mm -hmm. but it just seems weird that they don't talk about it at all when they've made this effort yeah. to do quote unquote colorblind casting. That is funny. They're like, isn't it enough that we're not mass killing black people? We're just submitting them to the same systematic rape everybody else did. Yeah, isn't yeah. that enough? Well, and, and it's I mean, like, I would, <laughs> I would buy, I would buy it as colorblind casting and a post-racial society. Fair. If they hadn't gone out of their way to position it as being very close to right now. Yeah. Also, where are the black commanders? That was going to be my next point. Is like, okay, all right, you want to do colorblind casting? Show me some black commanders. Yeah. Show me some Latino commander. Like, show me yeah. the diversity outside of just off-red circle. Because if that's the case, look, interracial relationships are still a big deal. Yeah. And having interracial best friendship, it's not as big of a deal, but there is some cultural disconnect there. Like not, you know, not that it's a huge source of friction, but like you're going to talk about like, oh, like my family would do this on this holiday and mine would do that. Like just things like that. And also I've seen this brought up where it's like the idea, you know, these, these are white women forced into slavery and to not see a uniquely black woman's reaction to this well is unfortunate so and I, again i don't think they have to make a big deal out of it right. but it's like black women have a very different experience than white women so I, so to not see that come out in moira's relationship with june sure. to me feels weird and creepy so what i think they i think they heard this criticism and they tried to do that when she's talking to the new off glen who is a woman of color mm-hmm. and who's like, I used to be very poor. I used to be homeless. I used to be addicted to drugs. And now in this society, I'm living much better now. Right. But she, but the fact that she's a woman of color is incidental. Exactly. So, so I I'm want something. Explicit. Because look, if June and Moira are as close as they are telling us they yeah, are, that's true. they've had plenty of conversations about race. Totally. They, you know, I feel like particularly in a place like this, there are people who have, black woman fetishes sure and moira's being subjected to that like even just like a throwaway about that but anyway so that's That's, just what i want to say and so i mean that's the thing too and tying it back to the idea of representing diversity of body size Mm -hmm. it's like i'm really you know i i guess it's not that i i wish they hadn't hadn't even made the effort because i'm really happy to see so many people of color getting work Mm -hmm. here but it's like it's not enough to tick off your good liberal box like really think about it and what does it mean for the storytelling that's fascinating well like it can't we can't think of it as color blind casting anymore it has to be color conscious Oof. 
That's a sexy way to put it. Thank I you. I like that a lot. My rhetoric is very sexy. <laughs> you know what? My rhetoric's cute. Your rhetoric's so cute. My rhetoric's so cute. I think you make excellent points. Oh, thank you, and Molly. And I would be excited to see that uh, addressed as we go further. I agree. So I think that does it for episode eight. Only two Ooh. more left. Two more left. And you guys, we're thinking a little bit about projects we'd like to do beyond uh, the TV series and Handmaid's Tale. Obviously, we're planning on doing book recaps for the rest of the book. If there's any other kind of projects you'd like to see from us related, we were thinking of doing like a live comedy show. Yeah, uh, some other stuff like that. And we can't make huge output promises because we both have other podcasts and full-time jobs yeah. <laughs> but yeah but if you have ideas we'll have like a thread where you can make suggestions on the facebook page um, i'm also making a separate thread because i'm rereading the mad adam trilogy <laughs> by margaret atwood and i need to talk about zeb i cannot <laughs> remain silent i need to talk to other people and see if you feel the same way about the book mad adam as me i really need this so if anybody's game i'll be on facebook tomorrow <laughs> So let us know if you have any ideas uh, for post-show projects we can do or anything else you'd like us to cover. And you can find Kelly on Twitter at, at the Fatling. And you can find Molly on Twitter at Serious Molly. And you can please follow us on Facebook, which is read all over. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And as always, Nolite Te Bastardes Carborundorum. I didn't have a theme in mind. I didn't either. What did you just start doing? I just did dumbs and hoped something would happen. Uh. That's improv, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) You know butted me. I didn't mean to do that, but you know I'm a stand-up. Oh, boy. (laughs) 